amen and amen to that. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, guys. I don't know what it is. I feel like I'm just so glad to be here. I'm so glad for Kelly and for our pastoral team, our worship team. Uh, I'm actually so sad. Jeff and I are crossing paths. He's leading a retreat, and I don't get to see him. So Jeff, online, I love you. When Jeff does a retreat, man, people travel all over the world. Todd is with Jeff, and I'm like, Todd, what's up? So I just want to say, love you, Todd. Glad you're here. But I think part of it, I'm all like kind of messed up a little bit because I've just been gone for a week. I don't know about you, but I mean, for me, I know I don't present really like all emotive, but in my heart, like I'm so, I love where we live. I love our church. I love being together and doing ministry. And I was in Chicago in the middle of winter, trapped in this hotel with dry air and, uh, you know, my, my skin was all dry and falling off. And uh, in fact, when I was driving home, you know, I crossed the Golden Gate Bridge and I see like my homeland, Sausalito. I'm like, yes, Lord, this is where I should live. Um, but I don't, but it's my heartland. I'm like, this is, this is my home and I'm with my people. Um, but I was, I was gone all week. I was a bunch of us in our pastoral team. Uh, we're in Chicago. It's our annual um, pastor's conference. We haven't done it for a couple years. And I just, oh, I was super glad to go there. But I told my wife after two days, I'm like, well, I'm good. I'm ready to come home. And, um, but it's, our denomination is awesome. I actually love being with my pastor friends. And um, I mean, I love our church and I love, but I, you know, when you gather the whole church, you're around people who are just incredible. I mean, we have an incredible team, but I mean like next level incredible. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and so like you go to these big sessions and, uh, and the worship is just out of control. There's this woman who led worship and like she opened her mouth and it was like the heavens parted. Do you know what I mean? And she would pray and you're like, oh my goodness, if I could even attach myself tiny bits of that prayer, I'm like, oh, I'll be so much closer to Jesus. The way she loved Jesus, I was like, oh, I want to love Jesus like that, right? And then there's people teaching all these like, you know, teaching from the scriptures. There's these workshops. I mean, we're so blessed. Michael actually taught one of the workshops. I mean, so there's incredible wisdom of, of, of our pastoral community. And I, just, I listen, I'm like, oh, this is so great. If only I could like be wise like those guys, but instead I'm just going to soak it up. Oh, it's so good. And then, you know, our church, we really care about the world and being, um, and about justice and want to make sure we're not just like sitting around a campfire, but we're doing stuff in the world for Jesus. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, the way that these people love Jesus and what they want to do in the world. I was just like so convicted and inspired all at the same time. Like, oh, this is the best ever. And so at my best, I'm totally inspired, right? I'm like, oh. This is the picture of the kingdom of God. I'm thankful that our church is a part of the denomination that's a part, one piece of the body of Christ that's doing all this great stuff. And my heart was just soaring, right? But I'm also a really broken, you know, man, Gen Xer and all that. And, and there's this thing that rises up in me when all this beautiful, incredible things happen. I'm like, gosh, I kind of want to be good like that. And I do this weird thing. And I don't, you probably are more whole than me, but like I sit with my friends and all of a sudden we kind of go, well, that song kind of sucked. I mean, it was great for her, but in that song, you know, or... For the person who spoke, I mean, there's this one thing out of a 45-minute sermon that changed my life. And I'm like, well, that one thing that they said, I mean, I wouldn't have said it that way, right? And we start, like, separating ourselves to make sure that, you know, I'm still good. I'm still a good person. I'm still smart. And I don't know if you in your real world and your job, you ever find that way when you're around people who are better than you and more competent than you. There's this thing that rises up in us that we want to make. We're still good. We still have a place, right? Just me, maybe. But maybe one of you wrestles with that, too. Well, this passage kept coming up to, for, for me in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, all midwinter, that God was like making sure this was in my head as I was engaging all these things, right? If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a claiming symbol. If I have all the gifts of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. 
If I give all that I possess to the poor, if I give over my body to hardships that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And it's so interesting, right? Even in the pastor world, there's this like little like, you know, jockeying for position. And I'm like, oh, well, I may not be able to pray and worship like that person. I may not have all the depths of wisdom like that person. And I may not be able to like give all that I have to the poor like that person, but I can love. I can love better than anybody. You know how I know? Because I'm me and I know me and I know that I can love. I mean, I know the scriptures. What's the greatest commandment, right? Who knows what it is? Love the Lord your God with heart with all your soul, with your mind and strength. The second one is just like it. What's the one that's just like it? Love your neighbors yourself. I know me. I know how I want to be loved. That's easy. I know how I want to be loved so I can totally love other people. And I figured out the way that I love. And it must be like Jesus because it's the way that I want to be loved. I love like I'm in a biker gang. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Sons of Anarchy. I don't recommend it. It's not the most Christian show, but you know, during COVID... We've been experienced to a whole wide group of television, but these guys, they love like I would want to be loved. I mean, they are loyal. You do not cross them. Their tribe, they will do anything. Murder for their people. Oh, the loyalty, right? This, and like they love deeply. But I'm like, as I'm watching Sons of Anarchy, I'm like, this isn't totally Christian probably. <laughs> like there's something in my spirit, right? That's like, I mean, I get, that's how I want to be loved, but there's got to be more, right, God? Like, this isn't, this isn't quite jive with everything, other things I've heard in here and there. And, uh, and so while in my heart, I want to love like I'm in a biker gang, I do think the way that God is inviting us to love is actually probably a little bit deeper, maybe a little more broad than, uh, than being in a biker gang. Now, loyalty is great. Um, violence, maybe not so much, you know. And what I love about Scripture is Scripture compels us to continue to refine our faith, right? It's so easy to, God's invisible. We can make God into anything we want. We have a couple favorite passages when we were younger and those things kind of all shape this weird kind of deformed version of God. And so scripture continues to help us take away the scales of our eyes and see this invisible, holy, almighty, gracious and loving God, who he really is and who he actually, he wants us to be. And it's been so fun going through John. It's kind of old school. We don't have these little pithy, cool little sermon series. We're like, no, we're going to study John all the way through from September to April. Like here we are week in and week out. And here we are in John chapter 13. And I love it because every week you can't avoid some of the hard teachings of Christ. And this uh, this morning, we're going to take a look at one of Jesus' hardest teachings, I think, because Jesus, you th- he rarely, he rarely, um, offered anything new. He took Jewish teaching and he added application and he pointed people's hypocrisy to it. But in this passage, we're going to see that Jesus gives us a brand new commitment. Just kidding. Commandment, not commitment, right? A brand new commandment. And we go, okay, God, you know, you're our king, you're our savior. And if we're going to be followers of you, then we should be people who do what Jesus says to do. And Jesus says, okay, great. A brand new commandment, a new commandment he gives us. So we're going to take a look at that. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn to John chapter 13. We're just making our way through the book of John, and, uh, and that's where we'll begin our time. So John chapter 13. This is the second half of it. And uh, if you remember, the last couple of weeks, because we've been marching through John, right, Jesus has come to, into Jerusalem. This is the last week of his life. Um, there was the Palm Sunday, right, where Jesus comes in on a colt, and everyone's saying, Hosanna, our Savior, our Messiah has come. And then last week, Jeff preached this epic sermon about um, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. What's so cool, because of technology now, you can just go online and rewatch it. It's such a great sermon. And, uh, and the way that he paints the picture, you're like, oh, you're sitting in the room with Jesus as he's washing his disciples' feet. 
Well, between what Jesus, I mean, between what Jeff was preaching on and where we're going to be, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. They have the Lord's Supper, and Judas leaves. Okay, Judas like, okay, deuces, I'm out of here, and he's off to go and betray Jesus. And then Jesus turns his attention to disciples, and for the next two or three chapters, right, Jesus just gives the disciples everything they need. Right, he's been preaching in really pithy ways and really creative ways. Here's some parables here and some miracles here, and it would be, kind of be coy of some things, but finally he's like, okay, it's almost the end. I'm going to give it to you in straight English. And that's almost the harder teaching, right? I like the, the, the stuff that's harder to understand. You can interpret it, but the really straightforward teaching, that's the hard stuff, and that's where we find ourselves. John chapter 13, verse 31 says this. When he was gone, this is Judas. When Judas was gone, right, Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. No idea what that means. Right? It's like, that's a lot going on there. And what's so great, the next couple of chapters, that's like the, 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 the big umbrella. Jesus is going to begin to unpack that statement a little bit by little bit by little bit. So he goes on and says, my children, I will be with you for only a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I'm telling you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. But a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Oh, so good. Love one another. That's the new commandment. I, oh, wait, he keeps going. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is where being in a biker gang doesn't totally jive, right? Love your neighbors yourself. There's a lot of flexibility there, right? But Jesus saying, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Man, I want the whole world to know that we're God's disciples, that we're followers of Christ. I want the whole world to know the goodness and grace of God. And it's so easy to get distracted with so many different things and fight about so many different things. And at the end of the day, Jesus is like, the way that people are actually going to know that you are my disciples is if you love one another. Not like in a biker game, but the way that I have loved you. So this love that Jesus has is rooted in his character, and it's rooted in his teaching, right? Anyone can say what Jesus said, but because of Jesus, who he is as his person, it adds this credibility, right? We know because we've been studying through John that Jesus is God. He's part of the Trinity. He's the second part of the Trinity who came to earth as a human being, right? There was a part of his life where he was in heaven and all the angels are singing, holy, 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 and the whole universe is worshiping him as he created and was part of creation. And Jesus like soaking it up because he is Jesus, he's God on most high, worthy of praise. And then all of a sudden he comes to earth as a baby, as a poor baby. He's worshiped by shepherds. He's homeless for his entire adult life. He's just this normal, common, common man. But we know, and the people who knew him knew that he wasn't a common man. He was God, the creator of the universe, modeling the humble in gentle heart of God. See, anyone can say, serve, serve one another, love one another, do these things, but Jesus modeled it in the very act of incarnation. Last week, uh, sorry, Jeff preached on Philippians 2, which is like this, this is a beautiful hymn. It's the culmination of this theology that Jesus, who was God, didn't even consider equality with God something to be grasped. He humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. He modeled it in his character. Everything about who he was said, I am a servant. You want to know what it means to love one another? You serve them. 
And in his teaching, anytime he had the opportunity to teach, he was always teaching this, right? You're saying, listen, everyone in your world, you all lord your power and status above each other. We do it in our world. We always make sure we, people around us know that we're just a little better than them. You know, we're close to us, but we're still just a little better than them. We, if we do have stats, we never want to give it up. And in every time Jesus had the opportunity to open his mouth, he would say, listen, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve. Every time, right? You want, to be, you want to be first in the kingdom of God, you have to be like these little children. Every time he opened his mouth, we all want to be noble and great and have a seat at the table. And Jesus is like, you want to see the table? You need to be in the back of the table. The greatest in the kingdom of God is a servant of all. That was Jesus' teaching all the way through. It was modeled, um, it was in his character and his actions. I mean, sorry, it's his character and his teaching, but then it was also modeled in his actions. So we just read in John chapter three that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, which up to that point was, I think, the ultimate expression of service. Mostly because it's such a lowly thing. It's, a, it's not just they've never had their feet washed before, but it was who was washing their feet. This person that they've come to learn and come to know that he was the Messiah, the son of God, of the most high, he was the one who was washing their feet, right? People having washing your feet, that depends on who it is, no big deal. Jesus, God's very own son washing your feet. Now that's a big deal. And like Jeff preached last week, I mean, Peter was just blown. His mind was blown by it. He didn't know how to, you know, he didn't know how to receive that. He didn't know what to do with that. And it was this point of conflict. And then finally, you know, because Peter's such a hot, he's like, well, then wash all of me. Like, he's just like trying to figure it out, right? But Jesus, every single thing he did, he served. So it says, gosh, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another as I have loved you. Well, the number one thing that Jesus did is that he served. He didn't just like serve food. He didn't just go to a food pantry once or, you know, babysit someone for free. Like he served, like, the, the low, like he washed his disciples' feet. So imagine the hardest thing to do and serve. Boom, Jesus did it. Want to know what it looks like to love others the way that Jesus loved you? He served. Well, what else did Jesus do? He also forgave. That's a hard one. But all of Jesus' life and ministry was moving to the cross. Here we are in Holy Week as we're studying John. It's all moving to the cross where he would ultimately be, die on the cross and forgive sins, make us able to have a restored relationship with God. I love earlier, um, right? Remember the story where, where the paralyzed, um, where these bunch of friends bring this paralyzed, their paralyzed friend to Jesus and he's in his house and he couldn't get to him. And so they rip apart the roof, which you're like, that's kind of weird, but they rip apart the roof and they drop down their friend knowing that if they friend could just get close to Jesus, Jesus would heal them and be so great. And Jesus does this total ultimate Jesus juke. He's like, your sins are forgiven. Which for us, we're like, I don't care if my sins are forgiven. I want to walk. But Jesus knew, no, the big thing, the, the thing is that you would be forgiven, that you would be restored, that you'd be reconciled back into right relationship with God. And it would be your sins that'd be forgiven. And the healing, which was awesome, and that guy's life was changed forever. But the healing was just simply to prove that Jesus had the power to forgive. Because anyone could just be like, you're forgiven. Like, who says that? But Jesus said, no, I can say it and I mean it. And I'm going to show you that I can do that because of this miracle that I did. Right? So when it says, man, I want to love others the way that Jesus has loved me. How do I do that? Man, we serve one another. We forgive one another. Right? We don't hold people's wrongs against us. Jesus did not do that. In fact, he was overly generous and gracious to, one, to his people and people around him. He forgave them. 
And ultimately, the reason why you offer forgiveness is for the entire mission of Jesus is for reconciliation. That is every single thing that Jesus did, coming to earth, serving, miracles, forgiving, dying on the cross, every single thing he did ultimately was so that we would have a reconciled relationship with God. I love it in Colossians chapter one, it says, right? God in all of his fullness. So Jesus wasn't just like a mini version of God. God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. In him, he reconciled everything to himself. In Christ, he reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything on heaven and on earth through the blood of Christ on the cross. That was the whole point. Reconciliation. That we would be able to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. My favorite picture of heaven, and it's funny, some people all have different pictures of heaven. They like, you know, oh, I get to sit around and worship for 10,000 years. Not me, mine the banquet table of God. Am I right, people? Just unlimited great food with God sitting at the head and you sitting with all of your sisters and brothers being like, yes, such good food. Like that is it. We get to be at the kingdom of God, the the table of God, the banquet table of God. Every single thing that Jesus did was so that that table would be gigantic. It would be bigger and more wild than we would ever imagine. In fact, I'm convinced we're gonna show up and be like, you're here? Someone else is going to be like, you're here? I mean, it's just going to be wild. It's going to be totally mind-blowing. So when we think about Jesus, a new commandment I give to you to love one another as I have loved you. And what I love about the story of Scripture is we see that Jesus very uniquely and specifically loved people. Not like a biker gang, but uniquely like Jesus. And so I just want to share a couple different groupings of people that I think are mesmerizing and have been challenging me and maybe would gently encourage you and to expand your definition of love too. So Jesus was awesome at loving people. We saw in John 11 and 12 that, um, that Jesus had this inner squad of kind of his best friends. You don't really think of Jesus having best friends because we probably wouldn't have made that list. But I think Jesus had some best friends. You know, John thought he was Jesus' best friend. I mean, in his whole book, he's like, I'm the beloved, I'm the beloved, right? John was like, he knew Jesus loved him. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, like Jesus had this unique connection with them, right? He loved Mary so much when Mary was weeping and before he raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Jesus is weeping. There's this heartfelt connection. It wasn't just these randoms. It was like his people. He loved his people. And I think if we want to love the way Jesus loves, we should at least practice with people that we like, right? That's a great starting point. Hopefully we have at least one person in our life who loves us back. We love them. Nothing wrong with that. If you want to love the way Jesus loved, you love your dear friends. You love them. That's it. I love it. John, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. I think of who else throughout the story of John. There were some other people that came up. There's Matthew, when he says some of the 12, and we, we know more of his story from the, from the book of Matthew and Luke. And then we see Mary Magdalene. It's kind of weird. Where, how would Mary Magdalene and Matthew fit into the mix? Well, when I think of those two people, I think these were Jewish people, but they were Jewish people that did not fit. I mean, Matthew was a tax collector. He was, he was someone who worked for the empire just his very clothes, like just said, man, this is your money that I took from you. And like, if you were an oppressed Jewish person, you hated the tax collectors. And all of a sudden Jesus invites his tax collector to be one of his disciples. He didn't just get all new clothes. He didn't all of a sudden get like sackcloth to like all the other disciples. That's how I imagine from the TV shows, right? No, he was still had all this like tax collector clothes and just his very nature, like every meal for three years, you're sitting next to somebody who was like the, ob- the person who oppressed you, who took your money from you. 
He was an unclean Jewish man who had no business in this new thing that Jesus was doing. And Jesus says, you, you're going to be at the table with me. And Mary the same way, right? Mary, we know she was demon-possessed and she probably lived this really brutal and awful life. And everything about her life was unclean, I would imagine. She was not a good Jewish woman. She had a hard, hard life. And Jesus heals her. She's one of Jesus' closest and dearest friends. And what's mind-boggling to me is Jesus gives her the honor of being the very first person to see the resurrected Christ. She's the herald of the resurrection. What's the centerpiece of the Christian faith? It's the resurrection of Christ. Who was the first herald? It was Mary. Mary Magdalene was the very first person to tell the whole world that Jesus had risen from the dead. And I love that. What does it mean to love like Jesus? It means there's these people who are out there who might have a different way they understand the world, have a different life than you, experience God maybe a little differently than you. And Jesus like, you here, be a part of this table. I love that. Who else was there? Oh, in John 4, right? There was the, the woman at the well. Now here's what I love. The, the way the whole story begins, right? Jesus is this Jewish man. She goes, he goes to this well in Samaria, already in Samaria. Like, oh, the Samaritans, we do not like them, people, those people, right? I mean, you guys are noble like this, but it'd be like us going to Georgia. Like, that's how we feel about like the South, right? It's worse than that. We love the South, but I mean, that's how Marin people are, you know? But Samaria was worse than that. It was this different religion. It was this, like this, this dirty version of Judaism and they just never liked those people. And then to, to, then there's a, the, the gender thing on top of that. So he goes to this well and there's this woman there and she even gets it. She's like, what are you, a Jewish man talking to me, a Samaritan woman? She knew status-wise, mm-mm, this is not gonna fly. And Jesus sends off his disciples and he has this word with her. Samaritan woman, married a ton of times, not living with her husband, right? She's a wayward woman. And Jesus gives up his status. This is the beginning of his ministry. He's trying to prove that he is this rabbi. He's the Messiah. He's someone who's noble and should be respected. And right out of the gate early on, he gives up his status and loves this woman. In fact, gives her one of the most incredible teachings about worship. Every worship leader I know is like, oh, John 4, worship in spirit and in truth. Like, this is so good. That was to the Samaritan woman. I love it, right? So when it says, man, I want to, the new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you, to give up your status, to give up your influence, to give up your noble standing, to care for somebody else, especially if that person doesn't have any. Gosh, that's what it means. What I love too is Jesus loved religious people. He loved the religious leaders. We love thrashing on the Pharisees. It feels so good. Oh, the Pharisees, oh, the Pharisees. And Jesus, man, he, he definitely, he let it rip. Matthew gave it, it was a little bit harsher on the Pharisees than John. But still, I mean, Jesus is interesting. When you read between the lines, he didn't really thrash on their position of power. There was a hierarchy and there's a hierarchy in the world. And those Pharisees, they were religious leaders and they had a place and a thing to teach and they loved the scriptures and they loved God. And Jesus was like, well, then you better live out how you're speaking. You don't get to speak one way and to crush these poor peasants who are just trying to honor God. That hypocrisy is not going to fly. And what's interesting is he does, he has hard things to say to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, but however he was postured, he was always in conversation with them. He was always engaging them to the point that Nicodemus knew that he can come and talk to Jesus and he wouldn't have been belittled or turned away. Right? Because this is a scary thing. I love Kelly Dirks' story. Right? If you've been wronged or someone like puts you in your place, you're like, you're not welcome here. I mean, from a, right, it, it scars you your whole life. But those guys knew being around Jesus, 
however he loved the Pharisees, that he was willing to talk with them and interact with them. And Nicodemus himself was able to go to them. And I mean, all the football teams, I mean, think how different football games would be if Jesus never talked with Nicodemus saying John 3, 16, right? All right, we're almost done with these, right? Then there's, it gets a little bit harder, these ones at the end. You have Judas, right, and Pilate, and the Romans who crucified him, right? Jesus, when he washes his disciples' feet, Judas is still in the room. Like, I've washed John's feet all day, but Judas, imagine, Judas is just about to leave and betray him, and he washes his feet. The person who's going to send him to the Roman authorities and have him crucified. Pilate, who's like, whatever, doesn't want to be involved. The actual um, Roman guards who actually crucified him. And Jesus, forgive them. For they know not what they do. A new commandment I give you, to love one another the way that I have loved you. How did he love you? Even his enemies, he forgave. That's a hard one. All right, there's one more person uh, this passage goes on to, to talk about, and I think he's actually the hardest. So here we are in verse 36. John chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Because remember, this whole beginning part is, listen, I'm about to leave. I'm only going to be here for a little longer. Peter says, says, where are you going? She says, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. And then Peter, Lord, why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. Gosh, Peter's such a hothead. I'm so tired of Peter sometimes. You're like, just simmer down. Like, dude, just the chapter before you just got blown up. And like three chapters before you just got blown up. And I get John wrote this and John and Peter probably had some little thing. He's like, listen, I'm even gonna run faster than you, right? It's like this weird little thing they have. (laughs) But why can't I follow you? I'm gonna lay down my life for you. And then Jesus says this, you will, you you really wanna lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Oh. You know, Peter loves God. You know, Peter loves Jesus. You know, Peter's Jesus' best friend. He would do anything for him. And here he is going to about to just crash and burn. I don't know if you've had a best friend or a dear friend betray you, walk away from you, leave you stranded emotionally, physically, whatever. I, that actually hurts way more than an enemy, than giving up status and serving someone who's a little bit different than you. Oh, that's our squishy, that's our deep, that's, that is hard. Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another the way that I have loved you. And Jesus loves Peter. He blows Peter up. And what I love is the very end of John. And we're gonna see this at the end of Easter, right? The week after Easter, we're gonna preach on John 21. John 21, Jesus goes to Peter. He tracks him down. The resurrected Christ is like, hold on, where's Peter. Peter's like bummed out. He knew he screwed up and he's like, I'm fishing, I'm doing this thing. And Jesus goes and he restores relationship with him because again, all this serving, forgiving, all of it, the whole point is for reconciliation. Jesus restores his relationship with Peter. They're united again, right? And then Peter goes on, changes the world for Christ. Pretty incredible. So that's the new commandment. The new commandment I give to you to love one another, to love one another the way that I have loved you the way that Jesus has loved us. So Jesus, man, he was awesome at loving people. So here's the last little bit for us. Will you be awesome at loving people? That's the, that's the invitation. That's what God has for us this morning. When we are studiers of scripture, we say, God, not only do you speak to me and you want to encourage me, but what do you want me to do? Jesus says, I want you to love people in an awesome way. I want you to love your best friends. I want you to love the people who are Christians but are weird and not like you and make you look weird. You love them. You make space for them. 
You love the people who might be a drain on your status or your reputation. You love them. Those religious leaders, we don't get it right. Us little pastors, we don't know what we're doing all the time. Love us. Be generous. Help us figure this thing out. We love our enemies. We love those who betrayed us. That's what Jesus is talking about. We're not biker gangs. We're people who are formed like Christ. So what does it mean? How do we do it? Well, we, how do we love others? We serve. We serve one another. We forgive one another. In everything we do, we work towards reconciliation. You want to know if you're in the middle of God's world, I mean, the middle of God's will, you are helping two estranged people come together. That is the picture of the kingdom of God. So who, that's what you do. And who are you doing it to? You're doing it to the right, your best friends, to religious weirdos, to people with no status, to your enemies, to religious leaders, to people that betrayed you. And it's hard work. And that's why we're compelled to wrestle with scripture to keep moving there. And the reason why we do, he says, you, they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love each other. Gosh, there's so many other ways I want people to know that I'm a Christian and that our church is awesome, but the way that people are really gonna know if we are followers of Christ is is the way that we love each other. And what's so funny is I don't even have anything hard to say for our church because I love our church. Our church is awesome. You guys are incredible at loving each other. You're incredible at doing exactly those things, loving other people the way that Christ has loved you. And even among you guys who are so great, there's a grouping of you who are like the Navy SEALs of people who love. Rudy, you almost made the list, but there's still even a higher list, a higher group of Navy SEALs. You know who they are? They're our youth staff. Our youth staff, right? Ashton and Alexis, Renato, Matt Ward almost has COVID, so he's online, right? Last hour, there's another dozen people. Our youth staff, they're the Navy SEALs. And you know how I know this? Because, dude, loving teenagers is hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Every youth staff, Shelly and Ben, they're like, they always want to quit after the first six months. Like, they don't even talk to me. They don't even like me. Yeah, because you're the enemy, right? And they're like, just hang in there, hang in there. And the whole first year, they just shut you down. They shun you. They close the wall to you. And then all of a sudden, something happens. And they need you. And you love them. You give them your whole life. And they need it. Being a kid is so hard. And it's unbelievable that in our whole church of people who love people, there's this Navy SEAL group of people who are committed to loving teenagers. And I'll tell you what, teenagers does not help us status-wise. They're not giving their, their, um, you know, their babysitting money and that's how we're making our budget happen, right? We're not like, oh, that's so good. No, we love them because God invited us to love them uniquely and our youth staff are like, and we are on the front lines and we are going to love them. It doesn't matter if they're fickle. It doesn't matter if they're rude. It doesn't matter how they show up. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if they smell. It doesn't, doesn't matter at all. We are going to love them. And what's so incredible because you guys love them, they're like, there's something unique about that church thing. I don't understand Jesus. I don't get the resurrection thing. It's all weird. But there's something about this church thing that why a Marin kid would come to church on a Wednesday night. Like, do you know how weird that is? Because there's this group of adults who see them and love them the way that Jesus would love them. And because they are loved, their heart is moving towards Christ. And my favorite is like Christmas break, all these college kids come back and, you know, I'm sure Ben's like, this was like me, like, oh, tell me how college is and how you're growing in your walk with Christ. And they're like, well, I'm like detoxing, you know, <laughs> right now you're like, oh, it hurts my heart, right? Because they're working out their faith. They're figuring out, but as wild as they are, they know that this is their home and they know that they're going to be loved here and they know that they're going to be cared for here. And because of that, they know that this is where Christ is. In their whole adult life, at some point, they're going to move towards Christ 
and not even have to go to therapy first. They're going to be able to just simply say yes to Christ because of you guys, the super squad. So thank you. Um, love you guys. Thank you for loving our kids, my kids specifically. The rest of you guys, you're really good at loving them. You're the greatest. But I think we want to keep doing that more and more. The new commandment I give you to love one another the way that Christ has loved us. That's how people are going to know that we are his disciples. Let me pray for us and then we'll wrap up our morning as we spend a little time in worship and be done. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, Man, I am so thankful for the way that you are so gracious to me, to us. You are so long-suffering. You are so generous and patient. So sorry for the ways that I've twisted my understanding of you and I even twisted my understanding of love. And I'm thankful for your scriptures that continue to refine me and refine our understanding of what it means to know you and to love you and to worship you. And so even though this morning is such a hard teaching, is such a hard teaching, I pray we wouldn't shy away from it, but I pray that we'd be encouraged to step into it, that we would be people that would love others the way that you love us. So thankful for our whole team and for our volunteers and for our church and that every Sunday we get to come and gather and remind ourselves of the truth because it's not out of works that we love others. We love others out of our fruit from being connected to you because of our heartfelt devotion and love for you, for the grace and mercy you gave to us. And because we get to sit at your banquet table, we want as many people to sit around that table with us. So deepen our faith and our love for you. Grow our heart and maturity for our love for those around us. And may this whole county and ultimately world know that we are your disciples by the way that we love you and may all honor and glory be to you, our Savior and King, Jesus, both now and forevermore. We love you. And all of God's kids said, amen. Let's stand and just worship Christ and offer him our heart and our soul as we continue to be shaped and formed by him.